What one thing more than anything else keeps you up at night right now? How we get back to normal. You know, I think that's probably the biggest one that I'm trying to think through when testing is not readily available at every drugstore and doctor's office. But how do everyday people get restored confidence that they can go out and go to a movie theater or go to a restaurant or go to a concert? That was Tulsa, Oklahoma Mayor G.T. Bynum telling me last month about the biggest challenge his city faced, how to reopen their economy. And now, a month later, Oklahoma has reopened, one of at least 42 states across the country that's begun the process of returning life to normal. Hey, everyone, I'm Dana Bash, CNN chief political correspondent. I'm in for David Chalian, and this is The Daily DC. Today on the podcast are the mayors of Oklahoma City and Tulsa. They're working together to try to figure out exactly how their cities will reopen. And it's not just because they represent the two biggest cities in the state of Oklahoma, but also because they're longtime friends and they're navigating the challenges that this pandemic brings for all mayors and local leaders across the country. And they're here to give us insight into how they're thinking about these tough decisions. Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt and Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum, thanks so much for joining me. Mayor Hold, I want to start with you. You guys go back 20 years, and I heard from your your colleague here last month that you have really kind of worked hand in hand trying to navigate this pandemic together. Yeah, in our state, our two metros represent really about two-thirds of the population of the state. Um, and, and we've always been, you know, I don't expect everybody knows the Oklahoma City and Tulsa rivalries, but there's been a little bit of a rivalry. We're kind of the two big cities of the state that, you know, it's a pretty steep drop to the third biggest city. And so um, we, however, have been friends for 20 years. We knew each other in D.C. back when we were in our early 20s. And so, you know, that friendship moved into these new roles, which he took on about three years ago. I took on about two years ago. And that's been great, you know, but it had never really had a substantive purpose until now. And we always kind of wondered, what was it would we really ever work on together that was of great substance, other than sort of setting a different tone for the relationship between our cities? Well, when this happened, you know, it's happening to both our cities at the same time. We're operating in the same environment and ecosystem within the state of Oklahoma. Um, we have similar powers that we could exercise in the case of an emergency, And it was really interesting, really at the very beginning and throughout this whole thing, to have almost an alternate universe version of myself and my city that I can play off of, talk to, and and ultimately sort of reinforce and encourage as well. And I think we both needed that because in our situation, in the early days, for sure, we were kind of having to move on, um, you know, individually. We were not waiting for the state to protect our people, and we had to you know, go out on a limb a little bit to do the right thing. And it was nice to have somebody that you could talk to about that and somebody ultimately who was doing it at the same time. We ultimately got to the point where we were coordinating our activities down to the hour, you know, and making sure that we moved forward as the two cities in our state uh, in unison and at the same time. Yeah, I mean, went out on a limb is probably an understatement, right? I mean, you're two Republicans in a Republican state that did the stay-at-home thing earlier uh, and did it against the grain. I won't call it the male Thelma and Louise because that they didn't have the best ending. <laughs> but but you did you did have each other to to rely on, uh, you know, 
especially when you were getting a lot of grief. Yeah, um, and that was and that was helpful. I mean, um, we also had a lot of support. And I should say, it's true that we're in a red state. Our cities, though, are you know they're big cities and they're starting to act like it. So there may be a little bit more purple. Um, and you know, we went out there and we made our case. I mean, I think ultimately, I haven't felt. Um, at all that much uh, pressure. I mean, it grew as the weeks went on, and and then obviously we've, we've made a different you know direction now, and so that pressure is off. But you know, in those early days, I felt like, and especially because we moved together as as two cities, I think it showed the people that this was the right thing to do. It, it must not be so crazy if Oklahoma City and Tulsa are both doing it as well as all you know cities around the country. Um, and so in those early days, it, it not only felt right, but I think it was well-received by the people, the vast majority of people in both our cities. Mayor Biden? I completely agree. I, I think it was so important, one, just from a policy development standpoint, uh, that David and I really talked through all the different options that we had. And he's right, our, our two cities, very similar from a demographic standpoint, similar from an overall legal framework standpoint. And so we could talk through different options. Uh, and then I do think it had a, a tremendous import when we would announce different orders that didn't apply to the whole state uh, and that were really unprecedented in the history of our cities, but that we could say on the very same day, yeah, we're doing this in, in Tulsa and they're doing it the almost the exact same thing in Oklahoma City as well. I really think that helped build a level of public confidence. And then you saw that radiate throughout the metro areas in each of our communities into the suburban cities as well. Okay, so Mayor Bynum, one of the things that you told me when you and I spoke last month for a series that I've been doing on CNN.com, talking to mayors across the country is about what keeps you up at night? It's one of the things that I've been asking mayors. And what you said to me is you're so worried about how we get back to normal. Well, you're trying to do that. Here we are. And and that's happening. Uh, as you know, the Tulsa Safer at Home order uh, expired April 30th. So talk me through the process of where you are right now and how stressed out you are. You must be. Well, I will say in the long arc of this event, this would probably be the first instance where Oklahoma City and Tulsa had different circumstances. Uh, Oklahoma City met the White House gating criteria, as did the state of Oklahoma, to move forward into phase one. In Tulsa, uh, we have not yet met that criteria. Uh, we still see an upward trajectory of cases in our community. Uh, our hospitals, we meet the criteria as it relates to hospitals, but not as it relates to cases. And the, the dilemma that we faced locally was that with the governor announcing that the state would be moving into phase one and knowing that OKC would be moving into phase one and all of the communities around us would be doing so, you know, could we continue to ask people in Tulsa to make that tremendous financial sacrifice uh, to move towards an outcome that we wouldn't necessarily ever meet because all the public... So the answer was no, right? That's correct. We decided to go ahead and move ahead with phase one, even though we had not met that White House gating criteria. Uh, and, and fortunately, so far in the first week or so, Things have been pretty 
practical. Uh, I, I'm really proud of our community. Uh, Tulsans have handled it in a very calm, business-like way. I, I would say a lot of businesses have just chosen not to open, regardless of the orders that are in place. A lot of restaurants are taking it a day at a time and have announced that they're going to wait and see how it goes for the first couple of weeks before they open. A lot of other businesses are doing the same. And so I think that the main thing for me, and you mentioned stress, I think the great source of, I wouldn't necessarily say stress, but the unknown right now is what is the middle ground between those two extremes of no social distancing at all, where we were in February, and shelter in place where we were for the month of March. And if we're going to identify some middle ground that is safer from a public health standpoint than no social distancing, but more sustainable from an economic standpoint than shelter in place, what does that middle ground look like? And we're working as a community right now to identify that. Yeah, I'm sure day by day. And Mayor Holt, I want to play for our listeners some sound from you when you announced that you would be lifting the stay-at-home order in Oklahoma City. As such, I have very mixed emotions about this. You likely do as well. In fact, I think this is the hardest speech I've given in this, in this pandemic. But as I have thought about this, I recognize that I would always have mixed emotions because until there is a vaccine or a treatment, there simply is no right answer. I mean, wow. You could hear the struggle in your voice. What was that like? That was a rough day, obviously. Yeah, you can hear that. Um, you know, GT uh, did an interview in the course of this that he said that the day we closed the bars and restaurants, which we did on virtually the same day, was was one of the worst days of his life. And I, and I felt the same. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny now, but we closed the bars at 5 o'clock on St. Patrick's Day. Like, there's... <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not what we signed up for. And so that was tough because obviously there's an economic fallout to that. But likewise, on the other end of that, there, it was a tough day when we reopened those things because, um, you know, because we knew, um, I knew that, that this was a day that was going to create more opportunity for spreading the virus, which in theory could mean more cases, more pain, more suffering, and ultimately more deaths. And um, and so, you know, that, that speech that I gave that day, that's about almost two weeks ago now when we kind of made the decision that we were going to have to follow the state's opening on May 1st. Um, you know, I really explained how conflicted I was. Um, not that I'm not happy for the business owners who maybe have the opportunity for, for, for more economic activity than they did before. But obviously, how could I feel good about potentially more people getting the virus and more people dying at the same time? But I also said, look, I'm going to feel this way. Anytime we do this, June 1st, August 1st, November 1st, it doesn't matter. I'm never going to feel good about this until there's a vaccine. So acknowledging that, I think, was part of my struggle as well. You know, look, I'm never going to feel good about this. We do pass the White House gating criteria. Our hands are a little forced because of the fact that the governor is lifting the restrictions. And so half our metro is going to go that way anyways. Um, You know, so we're going to do this. Um, but, you know, obviously I, I, I struggled with it. I didn't set out to get emotional in that speech, but it is what it is. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm more at peace with it now. I mean, as GT said, I mean, I think the, what's been interesting is now that the restrictions are lifted, um, a lot of businesses are still closed. A lot of restaurants are still closed. A lot of churches, most churches are still not meeting uh, in person. And so I think it's very interesting to see how people have, Reacted, and I had sort of said this for weeks. I said, you know, it's not proclamations keeping people at home. That's been that's become a myth, really, that people have bought into. It's the virus keeping people at home, and the real economic recovery happens when we have a robust infrastructure 
for testing and tracing and quarantining until that day that we have a vaccine. And that's what we at government have to work on if we really want to have an economic recovery. Just lifting a proclamation is not going to is not going to change that. And Mayor Bynum, I mean, it sounds like from what you said at the beginning that you're with your friend over in, in Oklahoma City that the governor kind of forced your hand. He has a different job than we do. His job is to look at the whole state and his uh, health department people were telling him that the entire state met the White House gating criteria. And, and I know, uh, just like you and I discussed before, every elected official in America that's dealing with this at any level of government is cognizant of that tension between public health and driving your economy into the ground and trying to balance those two to minimize negative outcomes on both sides. And so uh, I, I don't begrudge him making that decision. It forced us to move into this new phase earlier than I would have liked uh, and then the federal guidelines were presenting. But as David just mentioned, so far, uh, things have been pretty calm here and the businesses are regulating it themselves. I want to play for both of you something that the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, said yesterday on this podcast. Listen, when, when Churchill made the decision to fight, to not give in to the Nazis, and they were getting blitzkrieged in London, I bet his approval numbers weren't great. But, you know, he knew that for the long-term survival of the British democracy, he needed to do it. And I think that's what we need from governors now is some boldness and some ingenuity and honesty to the people. In the end, you're going to have to tell them people are going to die and it's going to be awfully sad. So you're not governors, you're mayors, but you're facing similar dilemma uh, in each of your cities I don't know about you, but when he said that to me, that leaders have to just tell their constituents and the residents that people are going to die, I went, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, he's from New Jersey. He's not from Oklahoma. They talked it. we, as a native New Jersey, uh, we talked differently. But still, I mean, you understand the point he's trying to make uh, that it is that gray area, that balance that people like you really don't know how to find because you've never done this before, the balance between um, economic well-being and physical health. I will say at the outset of this, one thing that you see in, in, in national numbers, Oklahoma has amongst the lowest deaths per 100,000 people in the country of any state. And I largely, at least the public health professionals that I talk with, largely credit that to the early action of cities across Oklahoma and in particular in the OKC and Tulsa metro areas where we did not wait. Uh, we acted early. And I, I guess I might have a, a different Churchillian take on uh, the decisiveness of action. In my mind, it was the action to save lives. Uh, and to protect the community that we took early on, that everything I'm hearing today uh, will result in thousands of people's lives being saved because moving forward, they will have the healthcare infrastructure to treat them as this virus progresses uh, moving forward. We, you know, everyone talks about flattening the curve. And I, I think, you know, a couple months into this pandemic, there, some folks have forgotten what that meant in the first place. It didn't mean that no one ever gets the virus. It's that you prevent a situation where your healthcare system gets overwhelmed because of a sudden surge. We bought time for our healthcare infrastructure here in Oklahoma that had, I know in Tulsa, maybe 
two days, I was told yesterday, of PPE for one of our largest hospital systems here. And now they have over a month supply and they have plenty of capacity to treat people. That's great news. I mean, Mayor Holt, can you imagine saying to your constituents, to your residents in Oklahoma City, we got to reopen. We are reopened. People are going to die. It's just the way it is. No. How we've tried to find a middle ground is we didn't just reopen, you know, and and GT did the same thing in Tulsa. We created our own proclamation locally that has a lot of conditions on the high-risk activities, the things that we've been looking at from the very beginning above all, hair salons, restaurants, bars, um, you know, gyms. Uh, If you were to read my proclamation, you know, you would see two to three pages of single-spaced, you know, rules. People got to wear masks. The table's got to be distant. So what I've tried to tell the people of Oklahoma City is – Yes, there is an opportunity on May 1st and beyond for more spread of the virus, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you will wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your distance, you can engage in these quote-unquote high-risk activities, but you've taken the risk out of it, you know, for the most part. Um, we learned in our in our six weeks that we were in total lockdown that people are going to die anyways, you know. I mean, that, that there's obviously no avoiding that. We had, you know, 50 to 60 deaths in a period in which we had you know, total social distancing and sheltering in place. But the fear is that, you know, that will increase, as you've alluded to, and as Chris Christie is alluding to. And I think my role as a leader is to, to, to show people the path forward where that doesn't happen. And I still think that path exists. And yes, we can't shelter in place for two years. And yes, we're going to, quote unquote, open up. But if we do so wisely and we keep the right attitude, it doesn't have to mean a, a spike in the cases and the deaths. I really believe that. We're going to keep trying to execute that strategy in the weeks ahead. We're almost out of time. But before I let you go, do you have a romance, like secret handshake that you want to show me on the Zoom call that we're on or anything? <laughs> uh, I no, we don't. I did call it once in my State of the City address a turnpike bromance. We have a turnpike that everybody takes between oh, you the did. two cities. Yeah, oh, you did. So so I'm, I'm not being... Uh, yeah. being <laughs> unique here and calling it a bromance. All right. Although I do feel better. I feel like I'm being more respectful. Um, thank you both. Good luck to both of you. You are, you're both terrific and your cities are very lucky to have you as their leaders. And I mean that that's an objective observation because it's very clear how much you care about them. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners as well. Before we go, I have a special announcement. My very good friend and host of this podcast, David Chalian, is now the father to a beautiful baby girl. Olivia Bernstein Chalian was born Monday, May 4th, weighing in at nine pounds, measuring 20 inches long. She arrived with a full head of hair, and we all want to congratulate David and his husband, Justin. Woo, I got through that without crying. All right, so... Remember, we publish a new episode every weeknight, so please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. While you're there, please consider leaving a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. And if you want to tweet about this podcast, please do so using the hashtag TheDailyDC. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 